Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Throughout my lifetime, uh, my family had a lot of pets, particularly a lot of dogs. And I know uh, last week, Todd and Madison were talking about dogs and pets during the coronavirus. But I I still remember the first time that I saw, and I'm going to explain something that's maybe a little gross, but I remember the first time that I saw one of our dogs vomit right on the carpet. Never on the linoleum, never on hardwood, never on cement or, or anything, always on carpet. And I remember seeing it, and I did what all of us would do when you see an animal spew something out of their body. I looked around to see who was going to clean it up, but I was the only one there. So I remember heading into the kitchen, and I went into the kitchen uh, to get cleaning supplies. And of course, I was getting uh, Lysol, Pine Sol, Javex, Windex, paper towel, everything I could gather come out with this big bucket of cleaning supplies to clean up this nasty mess, only to discover, you know where this is going, that the mess had miraculously disappeared. And uh, I get sick to my stomach just thinking about what happened, and you, you probably know what happened. The dog returned and cleaned up his own mess. It's absolutely disgusting. It fascinates me, of course, when I see in the book of Proverbs, Solomon 3,000 years ago, had seen the same thing. In fact, dogs have been doing the same stuff for thousands of years. And he had observed this behavior that dogs do of returning to their own vomit. And he's reflecting on it and comes to the conclusion that, hey, there's a, there's a pattern here. There's something that we can learn. There's a metaphor here. And I want to introduce it to you. It's found in Proverbs 26, verse 11. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> and here's what it says. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit. So here's Solomon watching this nasty thing that none of us want to see. And he goes, ooh, that's gross. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So fools repeat their folly. In other words, he says, people do this too. Oh, sure. We don't return to our vomit, but we return to behaviors we should never have had. We return to old beliefs and ideas we should have never embraced. We return to things that hurt us. We, we return to things that made us so sick that we that we got it out of our lives and moved away, and yet we return. Why is that? And today I want to talk about something that I like to call the good old days syndrome, okay? And for some of you who've been around Pathway for a long time, you heard a message on the good old days nine years ago. In fact, at our one-year anniversary of Pathway Church, I preached a message called the good old days. And it was about this idea that there's something inside of us that always desires and wants to go back to the way it used to be. And I, I, we all do this. I, when I think about video games, I think about my childhood. We got a game called ice hockey. And there were only three kind of players. There were skinny guys that were really fast. There were medium guys that were just mediocre. And then there were these, these big stocky guys that were super slow, but you could not knock them over. And, and that was it. And it was the best game in the world. Well, a number of years ago, I was able to download the game and try it. It is terrible. But in my mind, it's the best thing ever. And there's something about this good old days syndrome. We look back to the past and we, and we glorify it. We go, it was the best. I talk to older folks who are like, man, the 60s were the best. The 70s were the best. The 80s were the best. And it's like, wait, weren't, wasn't it just in the 60s when we were teaching kids to climb under desks because the Russians might 
might throw a nuclear bomb across the ocean. Uh, in, in the 80s and 90s, then we have the Gulf War. And like, there's always something going on. But we look back and we go, oh, it was better back there. It was better with Leave it to Beaver. It was better with Old Yeller. We look back to the past and we go, man, if only we could go back. When I initially preached this message, we were 12 months old as a church. Like the church was in diapers, brand new. And we had grown from a meager beginning of about 30 people, most of whom were related in some way. All right, you got to love family. They just support you. It's awesome. We love our families. And so we had this little group, and within a year, we had grown to like 90 people a week. And that may not sound big to you, but that meant that our, our community, our, our church had tripled in size. And all of a sudden, people were going, man, I miss the good old days. Remember in those first few months when the whole church could gather in someone's yard and have a barbecue? Wasn't that amazing? Remember when we knew everybody by name and we knew everything about everybody? Wasn't that amazing? And I'm thinking through my lens and I'm like, yeah, I remember not having money, not having staff, not having a youth ministry. I remember a few people setting up and tearing down, not having volunteers. I, I remember that. But it's amazing how we look back and we go, oh, for the good old days. Oh, for the way it was. And honestly, I thought this would be a great message to repeat today because we are in a time right now of extreme change. And the world around us has ceased to exist the way we knew it and things are radically changing around us. And there will always be the temptation for us to go, oh, for the good old days. Oh, if we could just go back to six months ago. Oh, if we could just have it the way it was. And there's something inside of us that drives us to go back. Um, one of the reasons why change is so hard is because change really creates and fuels something called uncertainty. And recently I heard uh, Dr. Henry Cloud in an interview talking about our need for certainty. In fact, psychologists believe that like after, after food and water and shelter and sex, like right beneath those things comes this need for certainty that we are wired. God has actually created us to crave and desire and pursue certainty. When we know what's coming next, when we see patterns that are regular, it allows us to predict the future. It allows us, think about this. Have you ever walked down the stairs in the dark? You're in your home, you've done it a thousand times, you come down the stairs and you think you have one more, but you're actually on the bottom. I've done this. And you take another step and it's like, whoa. And it just, it rattles your sensibility. Why? Because you were able to predict because you've done it in the same pattern so many times. And we're now living in a world because of the pandemic where so much of the things that were structures that existed that gave us certainty and, and, and a solid foundation for our life, they've been removed. And when there's a lack of certainty, I read a, an article online that said that our brain is wired to perceive uncertainty like a threat to your life. So when you don't know what's coming next, you're your adrenal system kicks in and you're just like, what's happening? Am I in danger? Your body is trying to protect itself. And so uncertainty can cause a great deal of stress. It can cause a great deal of, of emotional instability. It can create a great deal of, of fear and dread. And, and honestly, we are living in a time where everything is kind of a moving target, isn't it? One of the things that I think is so fascinating is that uh, in the Old Testament, one of the names for God is Rock of Ages. And I think that's a metaphor that speaks to how God is the, the only certain thing in the universe. I mean, you can, you can trust that the, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. You know, you can trust that, that the, 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 
The plants will grow and we'll have food. You can trust in all those systems, but in reality, you need to understand the world is spinning. The, the solar system is kind of in flux. The stars are actually moving apart. Everything in this universe is in transition except one thing, the God who created it all, who spoke it into existence. And so when David, whose life was filled with uncertainty, who never knew which way was up or down or what was happening, he would constantly turn to God and say, you are my rock. Psalm 62, 2, David says this, he only, speaking of his God and our God, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. He wasn't saying that he could control everything that was going on around him. What he was saying is, I can be connected to the one who is in control. I can stand upon a rock that will not move. And rocks are really good at not moving, especially if they're big. And we have a big God who is immovable. And so in the midst of this season where everything is uncertain, everything seems to be in flux, you and I can take this time and take this opportunity to say, what does it mean for me to put my trust and hope in God? I'll tell you this, uh, when we face uncertainty in our lives, and let's talk about the kind of uncertainty we're facing. I mean, there's the little things like, do we wear a mask or not? That's, this is a big controversy right now, and I'm not going to get into it. But people are wondering, what's going to happen with school in September? Teachers, parents, daycare, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen at the government level? Who's in control? What's happening next? What about my job? What about the economy? What's church going to look like? All of these questions we're asking create, they create uncertainty. And, and here's what I want to tell you. We have to be careful that when we face uncertainty, that we don't do the very thing that is natural for us to do as humans, is to go back to what is familiar and back to what we have known, okay? Uh, not only does a dog return to its vomit, which is disgusting, you and I will return back to the familiar. And sometimes we've worked so hard to make progress in our faith, in our family, in our marriage, in our community, in our career, and then when everything gets shaken, the natural thing is to go, Back to what is comfortable, back to what is familiar. And I'm telling you, it's not the right way to go. Today, I want to look at a, a text that's found in Numbers chapter 11. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. Uh, while you do so, I'm going to give you a little context. In Numbers, uh, we have the story of the nation of Israel while they're in the wilderness. So the nation of Israel, they're in Egyptian slavery. It's very bad. God sends a prophet named Moses into Egypt with a message for the Pharaoh. Let my people go. That's what the message was. And the Pharaoh says, no, 10 plagues. Finally, things are so bad. The Pharaoh says, take your people, take your stuff and get out. The nation of Israel leaves under Moses' leadership. Immediately, the Pharaoh changes his mind, sends his army to destroy them and bring them back or bring them back. And instead, Pharaoh's army are drowned in the Red Sea. The Israelites are saved. Hooray. Next, they move on to Mount Sinai, where God gives the Ten Commandments. He gives the law. Essentially, for two years in the wilderness, God is preparing the nation into tribes, armies, groups. Uh, uh, he creates a tabernacle, a way to worship God and offer sacrifices. All the systems are being prepared so that they can go into Canaan, the promised land, and inherit their freedom and their land. And it's in the context of this transition. It's in the context of wilderness, between slavery and freedom, they are in the wilderness and God is leading them somewhere. And it's here where we pick up our story in Numbers chapter 11. We'll look at verse four. Here's what it says. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Look at that word rabble. Rabble is a group of people that just stir up trouble. 
And you know, rabble exists. They exist in your family. Sometimes it's you. They exist in our church. Sometimes people will just get, get a bee in their bonnet, as my grandmother used to say, and they would just start stirring and poking. I mean, my wife and I have four kids, and there have been times when we're driving in the van, and we're asking the kids, or the kids will ask us, hey, can we get ice cream? And sometimes we will, and sometimes the answer is, no, we're not going to do that today. And I've literally seen this play out in the back row. One of my kids is just like, no ice cream for me. And they sit there, and, they're, and just like the Israelites, they have a strong craving for ice cream. They have a strong craving to get what they want. When they don't get it, you know what they do? Next thing you know, someone's screaming, eh, he's hitting me, he poked me, he said this, and, and fights and dissensions start coming. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody with kids knows what I'm talking about. And honestly, this happens. You know, a great breeding ground for the rabble is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, right? Where people just, I'm not getting what I want, so poke, 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 poke. Let's start an argument. Let's get people fighting. Why? Because I am not getting what I want. This has happened now, and it happened then. The rabble was among them, had a strong craving. Here's what it says next. And the people of Israel also wept again. So there's this recurring complaining happening. And they said this, oh, that we had meat to eat. For context, the nation of Israel, uh, God had been providing for two years, over a million people in the wilderness with no food. And each morning, dew would come down and there would be flakes of what's called manna on the ground and people would be able to collect it and eat it. And it provided nutrition for them. God was providing in this way. I guess after two years, they got sick of, you know, manna pancakes, you know, manna burgers. I guess you can't have manna burgers, uh, you know, manna bread, manna pie. I mean, just manna everything. And they're like, oh, if we could just have meat again. And look what it says in verse five. And I want you to just catch, catch this. They said this, we remember, oh man, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. What are they talking about? They're like, remember when we lived in Egypt? Remember how great it was? And we could walk down to the Nile, cast in a little rod, pull out a nice juicy fish, cook it over the fire. And not only that, not only was this fish free, there were cucumbers and melons and leeks, the onions and the garlic. And here's what I wanted to say. Isn't it incredible how our memory can be so selective? Isn't it an amazing thing? So catch this. For those that don't know the story well, the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they were being beaten, they were being whipped. I have no doubt the women, the Israelite women, were abused by the Egyptian men. Uh, their, their babies, their baby boys particularly, were being murdered and thrown into the river. And they're like, hey, let's go to that river and get some free fish. Like, they're dreaming, okay, about a fish souffle with garlic and onions. And they're somehow forgetting the absolute peril of Egypt and how they were mistreated and how they had no freedom and no hope. Isn't that amazing? When you and I look back at our past, what do we remember? It's amazing how selective our memories can be. It's amazing how sometimes we can look back and we can think to ourselves, oh, it was so good back there. This week I came in to work a little later than normal on Tuesday and I apologized to Jason, our, our worship director, and I said, dude, like, sorry, I'm later than I thought. Uh, was up really late with one of our teenagers talking and stuff. And anyway, got to bed really late, so I slept in a bit before I came in. And, and he's like, oh, it must be nice to sleep in. And I thought about it for a second, then I realized from his filter, he's got, what is it, Jace, was it three kids under the age of three? Sure. Yes, sir. Jason's got three kids under the age of three. So, so here's, here's the deal. When you have three kids under the age of three, 
There's no such thing as sleeping in. Right? And so I remember when we had little kids, I used to think, man, when the kids are older, they can take care of themselves. It's going to be so great. Man, I used to think, man, when we had little kids, I thought, you remember when we were single, how amazing that was? It actually wasn't amazing. We drove around looking for things to do because we didn't have kids to take up our entire lives and all our money. But I remember, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, and when I remember having kids under the age of three, here's what I remember. I remember tummy time. I remember sippy cups. I remember tickling them and them giggling. I remember going for walks with the stroller and everyone's perfectly behaved. Of course, that's not the reality. You see, as I look back, I somehow forget the kids waking you up crying at two in the morning. See, now, if someone's up crying at two in the morning, it's usually me or Jess, right? It's a totally different world. But we long for what used to be rather than embracing what is right in front of us. Our memories can be so incredibly selective. We remember the pleasures of the past while overlooking the pain of the past. Isn't that true? And we look back and we go, oh, it was so good back there. I wish I could go back there. And it's a lie. Here's what it says in verse six. Here's how they continue their argument. They're like, it used to be so great, fish and onions, but now. Everybody say, but now at home. Come on, say, but now, okay? But now we have to wear face masks. But now we can't go into a store. But now we're limited in this way or that way. But now, here's what they said. Our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. We used to have that. And now all we have is this. We used to have all of that. It was so great back there. But now today, oh, it's so horrible. All we have is this manna to look at. Here's a big idea today. I really want you to hear these words. When we glorify the past, oh, it's so great back there. It hinders our ability to be grateful for the present. And look, I'm with you. I, there are certain aspects, man, I wish we'd go back six months and have what we had. I wish I could see you guys. I wish I could hug you guys. I wish I could, you know, shake hands and pray for people and be together in the way we used to be. But if I spend all my time focusing on what I've lost, I won't be able to be grateful for what I've gained. Firstly, that I have my health. Secondly, that we really do have an opportunity to hit reset on our families, on our lives. We have an opportunity to hit reset on our church ministry and how we do things. There is opportunity in what we are facing, and I want to be grateful for the present. You know, either looking back or forward can be extremely problematic. I mean, when our kids were really small, I remember thinking to myself, okay, because you can glorify the past, you can also glorify the future instead of living in the present. And I remember thinking, man, when our kids are out of diapers, we're going to save so much money. <laughs> and then they finally got out of diapers, and it was rep sports. And I remember saying to my wife, man, when this rep sport thing is done, we're going to have so much money. And then it was braces. And then it's like, man, when we finally get all our kids through braces, we're going to have so much money. And then it's college and university. It's like, man, once we get our kids all through school, we're going to have so much money. And it's like, oh, wait, marriage. And man, once we get all our kids married off and that expense is behind us, we're going to have so much money. Grandkids. And then, and then we die. You know, so aren't you glad you came to church? So exciting. The point is, Jesus said, don't, don't spend all your time worrying about tomorrow. Don't be looking back going how great it was there. How do we live in the present? How do we follow God today? How do we be thankful for what he's given us? How do we say, God, where would you lead me? How should I step in this moment? That's the question that I've been wrestling with for me, for my family, and for our church. You see, stepping back in fear, oh, it was so great back there, is so much easier than stepping forward in faith. Because stepping forward takes faith in God. Here's, let me tell you what happens with the nation of Israel. You can read in Numbers 11. God says, you want meat? You're going to complain about meat? I'm going to give you meat. He says, I'm not going to give you meat for a few days. I'm going to give you meat for like a month. 
and for a month they just gorged themselves on meat. And God says, I'm going to give you so much meat, it's going to come out your noses. And the people ate and ate and ate this meat that they desired till they didn't want it anymore, till it made them sick and many of them died. See, sometimes we just think, man, if I had that back there or I had that over there, then I'd be satisfied. And God is trying to say, no, would you be satisfied where you are? Would you be satisfied in the place you are? Would you trust me today? And I'm telling you, looks real good back there. Oh, for the good old days. And, and so many people have worked hard to make progress in their faith, and they've worked hard to make progress in their family, and they've worked hard to make progress in different areas of their life. And when all this uncertainty happens, it's so easy to slip back into old ways of being, old ways of thinking. And honestly, it will cost us if we do that. You know, uh, Jesus once uh, told a story. He used an illustration, really. He said, whoever puts his hand to the plow, whoever follows me to do the work and join me in my work and follow me, Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, you can't, look, you can look at the past. You can learn from the past, but you can't live in the past. You have to decide whatever's behind me stays there and I'm gonna move forward following Christ. That's what he requires of us because that takes faith. And so here's the thing. Any person who has committed their life to following Jesus, I mean, truly being a follower of Jesus, and maybe you haven't done that, but any person that has ever done that, I'm just going to tell you, it's cost them something. They had to leave some stuff behind. When I was, when I was in like youth group, you know, one of the things that would happen, there would be these events where people would make a commitment to follow Jesus and they'd bring, Jace, maybe you remember this, they'd bring like their old CDs, you know, stuff that they really didn't think they should be listening to, movies, pornography, drugs, you know, stuff they shouldn't have had in their lives. And they would bring it all, throw it in a barrel and light it on fire. We burn it. Ouija boards, all kinds of crazy stuff. Man, we just throw it all in there, burn it, and just be like, and what were we doing? What were they doing? It was like, we're cutting the ties with the things in our past that don't belong in our lives. And honestly, sometimes there's this old analogy of burning the ship. Sometimes when you make a commitment, you got to burn the bridge, burn the ships behind you, because here's what I guarantee you. Just like a dog returns to its vomit, when we're unsettled, when we don't know where to put our footing, we will want to go back to where we were, back to the familiar, back to what we know. And this is something that we see playing out throughout the scripture, and we'll see it playing out throughout your life and mine. So here's, here's what I want uh, to do. In, in Deuteronomy 5.15, here's a couple things we can do to move forward with this. Deuteronomy 5.15, uh, God instructs the people in this way. He says, and remember. Everybody say, Remember. There are some things from our past that we should not forget. Now, we'll want to glorify all the good stuff, but maybe we need to remember some of the bad stuff so we don't go back there. He says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. I want you to remember the pain of your past so that you won't be tempted to go back there. And he says that the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. When you remember the pain of the past, you will see how God has saved you from it and brought you to a new place. And it will produce in your heart gratitude in this present moment and will keep you from going back and encourage you to go forward. One of the ways that the nation of Israel did this was they had a Sabbath day. He says, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you keep the Sabbath day. So there was one day a week and for the Jewish nation. It was on Saturday when they stopped their work. Now on that day, they sat. And you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, when they sat, they were saying, I trust you, God. My crops will come in. My animals will be okay. I've done everything I can do. And now 
I'm going to sit down and do nothing. And what that is, is an act of faith to say, God, I trust you. I got to be honest with you. This is not something that's easy for me to do. It's not easy for me to trust that God has got it in the control. Maybe it's not easy for you either. But this is what the nation of Israel was encouraged to do. Remember the pain of your past. Man, I remember when I was like maybe 19 years old, I was a good church kid. Like I didn't do drugs, didn't get into any kind of trouble like we would call trouble. I never struggled with alcohol, some of that stuff. And I remember thinking, I'm a good kid. And then there was this moment where I was seeking God and I read this old sermon and, and it encouraged me to write down all my sins. And I started, I was like, it took me a while to come up with the first one. It was like, uh, oh yeah, I lied to my parents. And so I kind of wrote down what I lied about. And then I remembered that I had said something about somebody I shouldn't. And I wrote that down. And then, uh, then I started like, then I started examining my heart and I found pride and greed and lust. And like, literally I've started filling up pages and pages. And I was no longer looking back at my childhood and my past and going, oh, perfect Nathan. I was actually looking back and seeing the evil that was in my heart and the wickedness. And all of a sudden, I could now receive Christ's salvation and his gift of mercy. And like, man, me, a sinner. And I received his grace and I began to see in a new way. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about looking back through the right eyes at what's behind and embracing the God who has saved us so that we can move forward in the right way. So here's a couple questions. Where's God taking you? What can you be grateful for in this present moment? Here's one of the questions I've been wrestling with. Where's God taking our church? What's, what's the next step for us in this season? And to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure at all, all times, but here's what I do know. We move forward in faith. Here's what I do know. It's not about going back. Man, I, I hope we can all be together real soon. But that's not the answer. The answer is faith in God. The answer is taking steps towards him. So remember where you came from and where you're going. And the second thing is to remember who's taking you there. He is our rock of ages. And I know there's so much uncertainty still in front of us. To be honest with you, I think March 22nd of this year, we shut down our services. When we did that, I literally thought to myself, two, three weeks quarantine, we'll be back for Easter. We were planning for Easter. And it wasn't just me. Other pastors were doing this too. I couldn't have imagined that April would come and go. May would come and go. June would come and go. Now July has come and is gone. And we're still not back to normal. And frankly, this might take a little longer than I'd like it to for things to get back to normal. So the real question isn't, what do we do to get it back to normal? The real question is, how do we move forward? What does God have for us? And honestly, that's what I'm praying about. I want to invite you, our church, to be praying, God, how can we as a church make a difference in our community in the midst of this? How can we have faith and confidence in you so that we're standing on the rock that is immovable and not looking at our circumstances and panicking and going back in fear? How do we do that? That's my encouragement to you. Man, if there's anyone listening to me today who's hearing this message and God is speaking to you and God is saying, would you trust me? Would you walk away from what's behind you and follow me into the future? Would you do that? Would you burn the ships? Would you burn the bridges? Would you, would, you, would you remember the darkness and the sin from your past and remember how Christ saved you and move forward in faith? Would you do that? And I want to encourage you to do that today. And I want to pray a prayer together as we close our service. Father, thank you for every person listening. 
And it's easy for those at home listening to a sermon like this to be like, oh yeah, that's a good applicable message. But God, I pray that each and every person would, would take it to heart. What am I trusting then? Where's my hope? What is, what is my firm footing? Is it the economy? Is it my marriage? Is it my job? What is it? And God, would you help us to put our faith and trust completely in you? Would you be the rock upon which we stand? Would you be the one that is immovable amongst a society and a world that is spinning out of control around us? And Lord, if there's anyone who has never committed their life to you and chosen to follow you, to put their hand to the plow and decide, I'm not looking back, I pray that they would do so today, that they would say, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. And I choose to follow you now and into eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.